Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's go. Thanks, Jacob. What's up, what's up? How y'all feeling tonight? Good, good. Y'all ever heard of a guy named Alistair Begg? He's a Scottish uh, pastor in Ohio. Uh, he has a YouTube video. Well, like he was preaching a sermon, but it was made into a YouTube video. And he, uh, it's a clip of him calling out pastors who say, how y'all feeling? Um, and every time I say, how y'all feeling, I think about that. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. You'll be judged people like me when I say, how y'all feeling? But anyway, how y'all feeling? It's good to see y'all. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. I get to pop in uh, every now and then. Uh, Caesar and I, uh, one, first and foremost, are brothers. Secondarily, we're homies. Uh, fourthly, thirdly, we're uh, desk mates. I'm right next to him. Uh, uh, and then also we can just get to partner together in uh, discipleship uh, here in our church. So I'm pastor of biblical formation and get to hear about the awesome things that God's doing uh, here in young adults. So super thankful for Caesar. We just love it, man. The man is sick and it's man is like, yo, I'm not like letting sick control me. I'm compelled by the love of Jesus. I'm gonna go up there and say something anyway. I got something to say. Um, and so I love uh, serving with Caesar. He's the man. Um, love seeing Jesus through him. So we're closing up uh, Galatians uh, tonight. Uh, how many of you guys were here when we uh, jumped into the beginning of Galatians? You've been in it since the beginning. Cool, cool, cool. So some of you, not all of you, um, which is perfect because actually this passage summarizes the whole thing. Um, and so it's kind of like the end of the movie, but the end of the movie summarizes the whole movie. Uh, so you're getting like, is um, Cliff Notes still a thing? I don't know. When I was in college, I Cliff Noted up, Cliff Noted up. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Um, so before I pray, though, I want to pray before we jump in. Um, just found out uh, right before the service. Um, how many of you guys, if you've heard of Alistair Begg, you've heard of Tim Keller, right? Okay, but if you haven't heard of Tim Keller, that's cool. Uh, but Tim Keller is like a, uh, it's like, uh, it would be an understatement to say he's a giant in the faith right now in America. Pastor, author, um, scholar, all of those things. Uh, he just went into hospice today. Um, and so he has like days left uh, before he goes home to be with Jesus. And uh, he said, this uh, and made this public. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. So as we pray, would you just pray for Tim Keller, lift him up um, in his last days that he would honor Jesus in his dying days uh, and that God would come for his family. And then just that God would speak to you tonight um, and incline your heart towards his word as um, I share it with you. And then we'll jump in together. So you just take a moment, quiet moment, you pray, and then I'll pray for all of us. Just first, I just wanna thank you for this quiet moment to sit and be still, know that you're God. Now, we don't get very many quiet moments like this in our days. For many of us, quietness is pretty uncomfortable. And yet, it's a gift. And God, in this stillness, we want to say that you are the Lord. You are sovereign. You are enthroned in the heavens, got high and lifted up, infinitely higher than our praises. And yet you are a God who has condescended to us, drawn near to us in the person and work of Jesus and sent your spirit to blow over this place among our hearts. And God, as you have drawn near to us in your grace, 
we respond to you and say that we love you. We want you. We're hungry for you. We want more of you. God, tonight, would you show us your glory in the face of Jesus? God, we lift up our brother Tim Keller to you. God, we're thankful for his life. We thank you for saving him, for drawing him to you, for gifting him with your spirit, for the many ways that he has served your church and served the advancement of the gospel all over the world. God, thank you for his life. And God, now as he spends his last few breaths, we pray that you would comfort him, that you would give him endurance through these last days, that you would comfort his family, that he would honor Jesus in death. Thank you that death has lost its sting. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death is but a doorway for him to the great joy of Christ. To die is gain, to live is Christ. Thank you that it is far better to depart and be with Jesus. So thank you for what you're doing in his life. God, we pray that you'd be with us tonight. Draw us to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all for praying. Um, so, man, we just finished uh, this study. So part of my role is I get to overstudy, uh, oversee our uh, midweek study on Tuesday nights. And we ended uh, just last month, the book of Exodus. We walked through Exodus uh, all of this year. And it was this amazing slow walkthrough of the whole book, all 40 chapters uh, of Exodus. And many of you uh, spent time in our young adult Bible reading plan, reading through Exodus. Uh, but one of the things, the themes that kept popping up was, yes, like in the fall, we talked about the first 19 chapters where God was bringing Israel out of slavery. And we all know Exodus is mainly about that, that God rescued by his grace, his people from the slavery of Egypt. But then this spring, we went through chapters 20 through 40 and learned that not only was God bringing Israel out of slavery, God also had to bring slavery out of Israel. Let's say that again. God wasn't just bringing Israel out of slavery. God also had to bring slavery out of Israel. In other words, though Israel was free out from under slavery in Egypt, they still lived and thought like they were slaves. Free, but thinking and behaving as slaves. And so God, over the course of their lives and to the end of their lives, is bringing slavery out of them. And that's what Galatians is all about. Galatians is, you are free. If you know Jesus, you have been brought under the, uh, out from under the tyranny and enslavement of sin. Not because of what you've accomplished, not because of trusting in your own righteousness, but because of what Jesus has done alone. And yet you have the tendency, the proneness, even in your freeness, to think like a slave. Galatians is written to take the slavery out of us. Though we're free, to help us think free. One author says this, Although God has transferred us from the domain of darkness, placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son, and given us the spirit of adoption as sons, all of his good pleasure, yet we can still imagine ourselves dressed in spiritual rags, waiting for our unconvinced father to determine whether his choice to have us was the right one. Although we are adopted, cleansed, given a new name, a new identity, a new spirit, we can still think like orphans, feel like orphans, behave like orphans. See, what Paul knows as he writes to the Galatians, as he writes to us, is that the root of our slavery that we feel inside of us, where we forget what God's done for us is not our behavior. It's the lies that we believe that lead to our behavior. That's why Jesus says in John chapter eight, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Listen to what he says. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Our freedom is in direct correlation with the truth that Jesus doesn't just reveal, but that Jesus is. Without the truth, we are enslaved. And so Galatians is all about know the truth. Abide in the word of Jesus. Know this truth. And if you know this truth, deep down in your soul, you will be free. And so Paul wants us to take hold of these precious, these precious, precious truths. Truths like Galatians 
chapter two, verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This grace, this childhood, this freedom, this power is what you and I are prone to forget. And we talked about this when I talked in Galatians chapter two, we are all prone to forget what we know. And so Paul is reminding us, pressing down the truths of the gospel further into the depths of our hearts so that we don't forget the truths that we're all prone to forget. You and I are prone to minimize the love of God, to think that the love of God is shallow and fragile, that we have to perform and pretend in order to get God to like us. We tend to think really highly of our sin and our mess that, man, my sin is so great. My mess is so deep that how could Jesus bring me out of this? And these are the lies that enslave us. And so what Paul is doing is he writes all of Galatians as a wrecking ball to destroy all these lies, all this wrong thinking about God. Galatians is exposing, highlighting that your greatest problem, my greatest problem is not my behavior, but wrong thinking about God. So it isn't until Galatians chapter five where Paul's gonna say, do not bite and devour one another. He's gonna get into commands, but he spends four chapters guiding us into the truth that sets us free to not bite and devour one another. Our greatest need is to be guided into truth that sets us free. And so tonight we're gonna dwell on truth, the kind of truth that sets us free, right? And so all this book, uh, what's really cool is Paul has been dictating. That means that he has been saying to someone else, write what, I'm, write what I'm saying. So he's like thinking what he's gonna say, got carried along by the spirit and he has a scribe that writes for him. And most scholars think it's because he had bad eyesight. And so because he had bad eyesight, he would have somebody else write for him. So if you actually read at the end of Romans uh, chapter 16, it actually ends with I, I think it's the guy's name is Tertius, something like that. It says, I Tertius write this with my own hand. And it's like, oh snap, like Paul didn't even write all this. He actually dictated it. But here, look at verse uh, 11. He says, see with uh, large letters, I am writing to you with my own hand. What Paul does is he's unpacking all these beautiful truths across five chapters. Now we're into the sixth chapter. And he's like, all right, you know what? Stop, stop, stop. Give me the pen. I got this from here, right? And so he takes the pen and he's like, I can't even really see what I'm writing, but I'm gonna write nice and big so you don't forget, so that you get the weight of everything I'm about to say. What he's doing is equivalent of, he's taking you by the shirt, pulling you in close. And he's like, listen to me. All right, this happened to me one time. I was um, at uh, Zach Olson. We've been friends for a long time. He was at another church and I was meeting with him and his lead pastor at the time. We were talking about church planning and things like that. And um, out of nowhere, this pastor uh, grabs me by my shirt and pulls me in. He says, Kevin, never plant a church. Revitalize one. And I was like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with him, but I'll never forget that moment. Like, I don't remember anything else that we talked about, but I remember when he grabbed my shirt and I don't remember exact words of what he said. That's what Paul wants to get across to you. Paul wants to grab you by the shirt, pull you in. Don't miss what I'm saying. And he's gonna get in a nutshell, everything that he said, highlighted. Don't miss this. And where he goes is the good news of Jesus Christ. Get Christianity right. Because there is a false Christianity. Guys, listen, the greatest threat to your Christianity is not Islam, is not atheism, it's false Christianity. It's a twisted 
Christianity. It's a kind of Christianity that becomes slavery and a burden. That's exactly what the Galatians are burdened by. Not by the religions that surround them, but by this twisted form of Christianity that's seeped into their hearts, that seeps into hearts like yours and mine. That's why he says in verse six of chapter one, well, I'm so astonished, I'm shocked that you would be so quick to desert the grace that has come to you in Jesus Christ. Like it wasn't like the Galatians were like one day like, man, we're, we're deserting this crap. We're done with this. We're like moving on to something else. Sorry if crap is offensive. Like I'm, we're done with this, right? Like, no, they drifted from this. This became a slow receiving of things that became enslaving to them. Same with you and I. It's called gospel drifting. You and I on our own don't gravitate towards truth. We all, because sin is still present in us, naturally gravitate towards false. And so Galatians like, is grab you by the shirt. No, listen to the truth. Know the truth. Hold on to the truth. And so first, what he's gonna do in the first couple of verses, he's gonna hold up. This is what the gospel isn't. And then he's gonna spend the next few verses. This is what the gospel is. So let's talk about first what the gospel isn't. What is false Christianity? Look at me at verse 12. It is those who wanna make a good showing in the flesh who would force you or coerce you or manipulate you to be circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, I ain't doing it tonight. Go home and research it and I'll pray for you if you do, okay? Um, so hopefully you know what it is. I'm tempted to tell a story, but I won't. Um, that I heard secondhand about Caesar, that's funny, but I won't. Has nothing to do with it happening, but it's just like teaching, it's a teaching thing. Okay, that's awkward. I'm not gonna Okay, back to the passage. Uh, who would force you to be circumcised and only... <laughs> I'm sorry. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What is Paul saying? False Christianity at its base is about appearances. It's about outward showing. Look at verse 12. He says, they, they want to make a, a good showing in the flesh. Good showing is actually one word in the original language. It's a marketing term. It's someone who um, is wanting to promote things in a certain way to impress you, to get you to buy into what they're offering. So they, they put on their suits, they talk a good game, so that you're persuaded, manipulated into what they're offering you. You ever had that happen to you before? Like someone that's like talked a good game and, and really impressed you and they just like kind of brought you into what they were selling you. I'm, I am a sucker for that. Like I was like, I'll buy it, bro. Like this is what they were doing. They were putting on a good show, an appearance to coerce or to force people into their thinking. But it was all outward appearance. It was all pretending in order to gain the approval and applause of people. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter six, look at the way Jesus um, kind of warns of what's gonna happen and what these guys are walking in, these Judaizers. Matthew six, verse one through two says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Now stop there. Back up to chapter five. Remember, um, Jesus says, shine your light before men so that they'll see your good works. And by seeing your good works, they'll glorify your father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying don't practice your righteousness because in chapter five, he says, go practice your righteousness, go shine your light so that they'll see you and glorify your father in heaven. Chapter six, verse one, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, but keep phrase there, in order to be seen by people. What he's on, what, it's motivation. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now this word hypocrites in uh, Matthew chapter six, Jesus actually borrows this term. It's, it's a term that's used commonly in this culture. Hypocrites, actually, it's, it's hypocrites in Greek. Hypocrites is a word that's actually used in theater, 
right? And so hypocrites were actually actors in theater. They were people that would wear masks and they would pretend and act in such a way to gain the applause and approval of people. That the better they wore their mask, the better they pretended, the more applause and approval and praise they received. And Jesus looks at the theater, he sees the hypocrites people, and he says, those people who practice their righteousness in order to be seen by people, they are hypocrites. They're actors. And what Jesus is saying is, acting is slavery. Why? Because you're enslaved to your audience. If you live for their approval, you'll die by their rejection. Can I ask you a loving, corrective question? Who's your audience? Who's, who, who is the one that you are, the, or the audience that you're living before? Whose approval matters to you? And what Jesus, and that's a loving question because Jesus is saying like, I have a better audience for you. And now these, these uh, they're called Judaizers. These are pretenders. They seek to not be persecuted by the cross. So they, they make the gospel palatable. They minimize what Jesus has done because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross. Why? Why would they avoid the cross? Because the cross actually reveals the person behind the mask. The cross isn't for the mask. It's for the person behind the mask, who you actually are. The cross doesn't say, you're an awesome actor. You're great. No, it says you are so bad that this was necessary to save you. And so actors don't like the cross. Actors don't go to the cross. But why would Paul? So we go on and, and Paul says in the next verse that he actually boasts in the cross. Why embrace a cross that exposes the real you? That takes off the mask. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Awesome. Verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I love this. Paul says, that's them, but we, we boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is boasting? What is boasting? What does it mean to boast? Boasting means to find your significance in something or someone you view as great. It means to align yourself with someone or something that you desire. That when you're close to that thing or when you're near that thing, when that thing's included you, you feel significant. You feel like you matter. So, you know, as an illustration, I've felt this before, okay? So, I was um, about 10 years ago, met this guy um, who loved Jesus, loved Christian rap music. I, I used to love rap music. God saved me when I was 17. And I was like, great, man, I can't, I can't listen to this. It's not like, it doesn't correlate with loving Jesus. So I throw it all out. I was like, I was just listening to like Kirk Franklin, I guess. Um, and then I found like, there's Christian rap. Like, there's people like, dudes actually can rap for Jesus. And, um, and I ended up meeting this group of guys uh, in Tampa um, that love Jesus and love rap music. And, um, and these guys are like, dirt poor, they live in an apartment. And, but one of these dudes was really good at rapping. So he would travel and he would rap at different places. And um, you guys listen to any crap, rap, I almost said crap music. Any of you guys ever listened to, to rap music before? Uh, Christian rap music, maybe a couple of you. This is a guy named Lecrae. You guys ever heard of Lecrae? Okay, cool. All right, so some of you guys have. So Lecrae ended up finding my friend. All right, so my friend's name is KB. And uh, finding him and inviting him into like, hey, I'm gonna bring you out with me. And I want you to perform. He ended up signing him. So my friend KB literally was like, started from the bottom, now we're here. Like he was, he like went out from his apartment. Now he's like balling. I think he like has a Tesla now, legit. Like he's killing it, okay? So he's like Christian rapping, he's traveling, he's doing winter jams and acquire the fires. And uh, he starts making rap videos. And he, he texted me one day. He was like, hey bro, I'm about to make a video in downtown. It's called Ebor, downtown Tampa. He's like, hey, bro, would you like to be in the video? I'm like, I've never been in a rap video. Sure, bro. Um, and so uh, you show this picture right here. Uh, hopefully it came up there. Yeah. Okay. So there's your boy. There's your boy. Okay. So uh, ended up, yeah, let's, Jeff Amato, I love it. Okay. So, all right. So that, 
ended up being in the right video. And so KB ends up making it big. And so as a point of like meeting new people and stuff, like when people are getting to know me, I was like, yeah, bro, like I'm friends with KB. I'm in this rap video. Here's the link, you know, check it out. So like, so like next to K, like me, I'm like, not that impressive. There's nothing to be proud of. Like, but when I get next to KB and he includes me into the things that he's doing, I feel significance. I feel like I matter because I'm next to someone who's revered. Now that's a sorry shadow version of gospel boasting because we who have nothing to be proud of have been invited next to someone in whom the whole universe was made for. Jesus comes in the flesh and he calls us to himself. And he says in John chapter 15, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you what? Friends. Jesus calls himself actually, he's known as a friend of what? Sinners. Us. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is, I don't look to anywhere else to find my significance. I don't look to anywhere else to find my utmost dignity. I look nowhere else but the cross, the cross of my Lord Jesus. Him alone is where I find my significance. Why only here? Because only here do I stop posing. Only here can my mask come off. Only here am I free from false appearances. Only here do I rest in his love for my out of control, self-centered me. Only here is the real me, the real me behind the mask, known, understood, forgiven, loved. Not the better me whose image I project, but the real me that's worse than Anyone knows. Only here does the all holy God prove how he really loves the worst of me. You and I know, and what Paul knows is the world may love me at my best when I perform all great and good, when I have circumcision, and it doesn't matter to us, but when I have likes and subscribers and the clothes and the, the dunks and I have all these things that the world loves me at my best, Jesus alone loves me at my worst. He sees all the depths of my heart. Guys, listen, there are so many things that you think that you have thought that if I were to take them out of your brain somehow, I took them out and I could play them on the screen and we could just watch the things that you have thought on this screen. Everyone in this room, including myself, would run out of here in shame. Jesus sees the worst of you and loves you the most. Chris Tomlin has it in a song. He's kind of fell off, but he's got some dope lyrics. He said this, Jesus, you see the depths of my heart. You love me the same. Only here. And guys, listen to me, listen to me. If Paul, if Paul could boast in the cross then, you can boast in the cross today. So when I was in college, um, with KB, actually, and some like other guys that love Jesus, we would go out and do street evangelism. And I met this homeless guy, I'll never forget his name, James Ivan Allen, was in a wheelchair and uh, was trying to share the gospel with him. And um, I'm not sure this is really super common still today, but a lot of times, like when I was in college, most homeless people actually like fought in Vietnam. When they came back from Vietnam, that they were hated, lost their jobs. And actually many of them became homeless and became addicted to drugs and alcohol because of PTSD and all that, super sad. Anyway, this guy was uh, a former Vietnam that. And he looks at me with tears in his eyes and he says, Kevin, I have killed men. I have killed women and I've killed children. How could God love me? How could God forgive me? And you have a grown man that says something like that to you. I was a call, I'm, a, I'm a newer believer. I didn't know what to say. I prayed for him, but I didn't know what to say. I went to church the next Sunday and I was just, had that heavy on my heart because I wanted to know what to say. I knew there was something that I could have told James, but I didn't know what it was. So I went to church that next Sunday and uh, our pastor's wife, I was telling her about what was happening. And I was like, man, I was like, this is what happened. This is what he said. And I didn't know what to say. And she with like no thought looked at me and said, with a smile on her face, did you tell him about Paul? 
And I was like, no, why? She's like, Paul was a murderer. Paul killed men, women, and children that loved Jesus. If God could save and love Paul and make him an apostle to write a third of the New Testament, God can love and draw near to James. Listen to me, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what kind of messes in your life. I don't know what kind of sin you struggle with in the dark. If God could save Paul, God can save you. God can rescue you from whatever that sin struggle is. God can love you through that sin. God can love you in that mess, in that darkness. God can use you in ways that you can never fathom or dream. Paul never thought as a murderer of Christians that we would be sitting here 2,000 years later reading his letter to the Galatians. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, this saying, Paul says this, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his Perfect patience, perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Maybe you're sitting here, it's like, man, I don't know how God could stick with me. I keep going back to the sin over and over again. And can I just say kind of humorously, but lovingly, is that Paul would come before you and he would laugh at you. Like, That's yours. That's what you struggle with. And you think God can't love you through that? Bro, let me tell you what I've done and tell you what God did in me despite my sin and darkness. If Paul could boast in the cross then, you can boast in the cross today. The cross is for us today, for you and for me. So I don't know what you're saying to yourself. I don't know about you, but I'm a, like really horrible person to myself. I tell myself bad things about myself all the time. I might even after this leave and be like, man, Kevin, they, they didn't like that. That was the worst. I don't even know why you got out there and said anything. You know, I don't know what it is for you. What measuring rod do you feel like you're not measuring up against? Maybe it's the way that you look. Maybe it's the way you feel about yourself. Maybe it's the way you're doing in school. Maybe it's the way, I don't know, there's leaders here. Maybe it's the way that you feel like you are as a parent. Maybe it's the way you feel like you are as a Christian. You feel like you aren't faithful as other Christians in this room. Like, man, I, I see other people passionate. I'm just not there. I don't care as much as other people do. I don't know what you're telling yourself, but I know what the cross is telling you tonight. That's all I know. I know that wherever you are, no matter what you're saying to yourself, the cross is saying, come. Jesus, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened. The qualification for coming to Jesus on the cross is heavy laden and burdened. Are you heavy? Are you laden with burdens? Come. Kevin, I, I'll never get over this sin. Come. And I'll never amount to what my parents think about me. Come. But I'll never be the Christian God wants me to be. Come. And I'll never look as good as other people. Come. Come. Jesus says, come. And I will give you rest. Where else can you go? John chapter six, all these uh, former followers leave Jesus because he says hard things. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, aren't you gonna go too? And, Jesus, and Peter says in John six, verse, 30, uh, verse 66, he says this. He says, where else can I go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. You alone have the rest that my soul longs for. Where else can I go? We've all sought to be known and loved, haven't we? And it's only in Christ are we truly known and truly loved. And through the cross, this is why Paul boasts in the cross even more. Two things happen. Look at verse 14. He says that we died to the world by which, through the cross, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What he's saying is, is that the world has no more power on me. The world died to me and I died to the world. 
He's living in what Jesus says. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Why? How did the world lose its power to Paul and to you and me if we're in Christ? Is this, is that the world no longer fundamentally defines us. The world didn't give us our joy. The world doesn't give us who we are. doesn't give us our identity. Jesus does through his cross. The cross says a better word. And because the cross is what ultimately defines us through Christ, the world doesn't. So the world has lost its power. We're not enslaved to what the world thinks about us anymore. We're filled with the love of Jesus. We don't care. God, take, God, take this slavery out of me. Because if you're like me, I care what the world thinks about me. And where else will the slavery be taken out of me but the boasting in the cross of my Lord, Jesus Christ? But not only do we die to the world, but he goes on and he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. We come alive to God. We die to the world. The world dies to us and we come alive to our God. We don't seek religion or anti-religion. We don't seek inferiority or superiority. We have something more wonderful than religion and anti-religion. We have been made a new creation through the cross. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. You know, I think many Catholics are actual Christians, but there's something that they actually get wrong. There's, they keep Jesus on the cross. You know, notice most Catholics will wear a cross with Jesus still on it because Jesus continues to sacrifice for sins. But Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and lives and rules and reigns. He rose again three days later. And now in him, we are risen again. We, have, we are new creations. So though we like are defined by the cross, we live from the cross as new creations. God has made us new through him. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, listen to this. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're listening to that in that time, you're like, crap. Oh, crap, I said it again, I'm sorry. But, but dang it, because the Pharisees are killing it. They're religious. They know like all the Old Testament, like at the time, that's all they had. Like they have it all memorized. Like how is my righteousness supposed to exceed the, the scribes and the Pharisees? It's because the Pharisees had an outward righteousness. This righteousness that's superior to the Pharisees is an inward righteousness of the heart. And this is what is Paul talking about. And thank God that Matthew doesn't end at chapter five. It actually has like 20 more chapters or 20 something more chapters where Jesus is gonna go and accomplish verse 20. But that righteousness is gonna be born again in you. You're gonna be given this righteousness. You're gonna be given this new heart. And praise God that he's done that for many of us in this room. That he has given us new life. He has given us new hearts. He has put his spirit within us. He has made us new creations. In the beginning of our real Christianity, God made us new. You had as much to do with your salvation than the darkness did when God said, let there be light. God made you new if you trust in Christ. And if you come to Christ, God make you new only through the cross. Here's what I want to kind of Try and land the plane here. That's dangerous when a pastor says that because that probably means another 30 minutes. Um, just kidding. No, hopefully just a few minutes. Okay, so how do we live as new creations? So if we're in Christ, we boast on the cross, we're new creations that counts for everything. What does it look like to live as new creations? Paul's gonna unpack a little bit about that for us. Verse 16 and on. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From uh, now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So first thing is living as new creations. One, we live by God's rule. Verse 16, and, all, and as for all who walk by this rule. Huh. Kevin, this whole thing I thought was about Grace unearned favor. Now we have rules? Listen to me. Grace does not mean no standard. Grace means gospel standard. That when we have new hearts, our lives live out of that new heart that Jesus accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. 
that we experience grace and because grace abounds and fills up our hearts, unearned love and favor fills us up. It is extended out from our lives. It overflows out of our lives into the world. And we live by this rule, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he, he kind of, there's a parallel verse in chapter five, verse six of Galatians that helps us see what a new creation is. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, same phrase, but only faith working through love. So what is a new creation? It's a person whose faith works out of them through love. Guys, listen, the report card of your faith is how well you love people who are really hard to love. There are days, I was telling Caesar this the other day, I was like, there's days where I'll be like on my way to uh, like work or whatever. And I'll be like, God, man, help me be a loving person today. Help me be like you. Those are all easy things to pray, right? And then there's that person that day that you come across that's really hard to love. And that's happened to me many times. And in that moment, the spirit of God is like, all right, this is it. Go get them. Who's that for you? Like God and his sovereignty, because I believe Romans 8, 28, God works all things, all your relationships. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose to make them more like Jesus. All the relationships that God has placed in your life, all the good ones, all the hard ones are to help you experience and see how much God loves you and how hard it is to love like God loves so that you would see how great his love is. Who are the hard people to love in your life? That's where grace shows up. Secondly, we don't only live by God's rule, but number two, we accept the marks of Jesus. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I love Paul here. He's being really human. He's like, I don't want to hear about any of this again. For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And this is something that not just Paul says, but we say together as the people of faith. What he's saying is, is that I, because of this message of grace, I have been beaten, I have been bruised, I have been flogged, I have been shipwrecked. And these, all these marks that I bear in my body, I love this, they have meaning. They're not just marks, they're the marks of Jesus. Now, who are we to suffer with Jesus? Acts chapter four, I love the disciples who are flogged uh, right there in front of the Sanhedrin and they're uh, sent away, told never to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I love what they say. They say that they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus because they felt we're unworthy. Who are we to suffer for Jesus? But they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Because in bearing the marks of Jesus, we identify and are more like Jesus. And Jesus' story becomes our story, that our marks lead to glory. That our suffering, this light and momentary suffering is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That our marks like, are preparing for us amazing glory that's coming for us. We have an amazing future. And lastly, number three, we trust God for daily grace. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul ends with grace be with you. Don't pass that. Don't close the book there. Why would Paul pray for grace to be with you who are already Christians? It's because listen, Grace doesn't just saves us, save us, grace also keeps us. Grace isn't just the beginning of the Christian life, it's all of the Christian life. Everything about following Jesus is grace. I love what Jerry Bridger says in his book, Discipline of Grace. He says this, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Can I just read that again? Some of you are like, are like somewhere else. Listen to this. Your worst days 
are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Grace abounds. And there is grace for you today. Unearned, unmatched love for you today in the person of Jesus. Here's what Galatians says. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, unrighteousness or fake righteousness, no matter what mess, no matter what pretending, no matter where you are, come. Come to Jesus. Not by your works, but by his grace. Come. And there's probably someone in this room who maybe your whole time in this Christian thing, you've just been pretending. Like all of the Christian life for you is what people see, but behind closed doors, there's no relationship with God. And Jesus, after he calls the hypocrites, the people who want to be seen by others, he says, but go into your room in private where no one sees and there seek your father in secret. What Jesus is saying is, I want the real you. I don't want the pretending you. I don't want the mask. I want all of you. I want all of your sin. I want all of your mess. I want all the things that no one else sees. I want you. Come to me. And be loved at your worst. Be loved through your worst. Maybe tonight for someone here, it's, I'm gonna lay down my mask. I'm gonna lay down the pretending. I'm gonna take up a real loving relationship with the God of the universe. Not because of anything that I've done, not because my mask is good enough, because I know now that Jesus did for, for me what I never could have accomplished. He paid for my sin on the cross. He rose again from the dead, defeated sin, Satan, the grave, and my sin. And in him, I can have this real relationship with God that's rooted in and saturated in grace. Come. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian, man, and just lately you've been pretending. It's just all been outward. You've been gripped and enslaved by what people think about you. Your mind and your heart is filled with worry, with fear, with low debasing thoughts of yourself. And tonight Jesus is saying, just come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest. And so we can do that actually practically tonight through a, a very beautiful thing called communion. Communion is this invitation to the table to receive and be reminded of what Jesus accomplished for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the last supper, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And he looks at his disciples and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes this cup, um, this cup of the new covenant. And he says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood in the new covenant. What is he saying? He says, these are symbols. These are powerful pictures of what I've come to do for you. That when you receive me, that when you take me into yourself, you will have life. And all are welcome. Come, take from the table. Be reminded of what I've done for you. And so what communion does is it's a visible reminder to your, like, to your body, to your taste buds of what Jesus has accomplished for you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, before you come to the table, examine yourself. Confess your sin. Remind yourself of why you need grace. Remind yourself of why you need Jesus. And so band's gonna go ahead and come on up. We're gonna sing a song here together called Communion in just a moment. And you are welcome as you feel led after you've examined your heart and confessed to God and walked in light with him and come forward and remind your body what Jesus has done for you in his death and in his resurrection. But some of you, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with God through Christ, Christ listen to me, this table is not for you. This table is for those who already have a relationship with God through Jesus. So though we would not invite you to this table, we would invite you to Jesus. You don't need this table. You need Christ. Come to him. And maybe tonight you need to turn to someone nearby you that you know that loves Jesus, knows Jesus, or maybe it's someone, one of us in the back, man, come back and say, man, I want Jesus.
Come as you are tonight. Come as you are. Jesus says, come all you who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. Let me pray for us and then you can respond. God, thank you for you. God, thank you for who you are. God, that you are the God of all grace. That you drew near to us, you came after us when we weren't looking for you. While we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, when we were by nature children of wrath. But you, God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which you loved us, made us alive together with Christ. God, who is like you? You are holy. You are set apart. There is none like you. Who can love like you? Who has grace like you? Who would draw near to us like you? God, you are worthy of all that we are. You are worthy of all that we have. God, we give you our hearts. We respond and say that we love you because you first loved us. And God, as your people come and take communion, I pray that you would reassure their hearts that your spirit would testify with their spirit that they are sons and daughters of God, that tonight, afresh and anew, they would cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy in heaven. And maybe there's a heart tonight that doesn't know you, but tonight you're turning that heart. You're convicting that heart. You're drawing that heart. Tonight is their night where they will boast and find their significance in the cross of their Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that you would rescue them into this loving, grace-based relationship with you now and forever. Tonight is their night. God, I pray that you would give them boldness that they need to stand up and say, I want Jesus. And to not be scared what this world thinks of them anymore. To let that go, to take up Jesus. So God, have your way in this moment. Blow over this place for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.